I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon and Español. We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color, making our world a better place. Let's get started. We are here today with Cindy Bojorquez, otherwise known as Cindy, a queer Guatemalan-American hardcore punk drummer, digital media artist, and music producer from Los Angeles. She explores subjects of social inequality, feminism, and current events as her creative muse. Currently, her focus is to produce, distribute, and archive underground music by people of color via her independent recording label, Resisting with Music. Cindy, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. We're so happy to have you. We are so happy to have you. And I'd love to tell our audience members how we got connected through our friends at DubLab. Yes, I reached out to DubLab on their website, dublab.com. I was interested in getting involved with online radio. And uh, I just Googled online radio and they were one of the first ones that came out. So I emailed them and asked them how I could get involved. And Ale hit me back up and told me that I could come in and do a guest DJ set, which I was super stoked about. So I came in and did a, what I would call a protest set. And I wanted to do uh, songs that focused on uh, revolutionary lyrics just because of everything that's going on in the world right now. So that's what I did when I went into Dub Lab that day. I love that you call it a protest set. Um, This might feign ignorance because I'm uh, hardcore drumming is not necessarily my personal genre. But when I think of like music and protest, I think of Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Is that considered hardcore drumming? Yes, I would consider it hardcore. I a mean, little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, is what, you know, I would call rock pesado. Um, okay. You know, hard rock. So yep. yeah, it definitely I would consider it hardcore. Um, but that particular set was a mixture of genres. I even had cumbias, which is some of my personal fa- favorite. Ooh, and uh, I had it. hip-hop, uh, try to focus on uh, female rappers, but also other type of hip-hop. So I did try to mix it up because I know that Punk and hardcore is not everybody's cup of tea, just like country isn't always my cup of tea. So I yeah. try to keep that Country's in mind. never my cup of tea. <laughs> Me either. So I did try to mix it up a little bit, but I definitely ended it with the hardcore because it's who I am. Oh, I love that. And, you know, speaking of who you are, uh, as I was listening to Yvette read your bio, I was like, man, this is a woman who is um, protesting against all our constructs. (laughs) I love it. Things like queer Latina. Those are things culturally that are not always the most acceptable things to talk about, right? What do our parents tell us? Don't be gay. Don't date black guys. Or every time that I have a girlfriend, they always call her amiga. Oh, friend. We have a cousin like that, right? <laughs> uh, one of my one of my amazing cousins. Um, not out of the closet for the most part, but we all know. And she's just had a very close friend for a very long time. And I'm like, you're like 45. We could talk about this. It's cool. Yeah. Like we all know. We love you. We love your friend. We don't have to call her your friend anymore. Like I saw that funny meme that was like, when your tia brings her friend to dinner (laughs) the roommate yeah they're just really good friends solamente amigas (laughs) how has that been with your family you know it's been real interesting because uh 
I have my family here in Los Angeles, and then I have that family in Guatemala. And when I came out to the family in Guatemala, I was very scared. And it, I basically took the opportunity that we were all wasted and drunk. And I said, this is the time to do it. Because first <laughs> of all, they're wasted. They might yeah. not remember tomorrow. Oh and gosh. I have the, the courage to actually tell them, you know, and it. At, when I came out to them, we were all in tears, all of us, which Aww. is something I didn't expect. And what else I didn't expect was for them to accept me and tell for them to tell me they loved me regardless of my sexual preference. That's beautiful. It's, yeah. yeah. You know, I think we oftentimes... Uh, when we say, oh, Latino families are so, it has to be a certain way. It has to be a certain way. But when it comes down to our core, our families are about family. We're about sticking together. We're about being a united front. And, you know, for us, family is the core of everything. And I think, uh, I think we probably don't hear that story enough, but I would, I would venture to guess that that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, but so often too, people focus on the negative. They're like, they're so they don't understand. They're you know stuck in the past and they don't want to hear it, and they kick them out. And it's like, yeah, that happens. But sometimes there's really good ones too. Yeah, I did get lucky that when I came out to them being drunk, but when I when they saw me kiss my high school sweetheart at the bus stop, uh, my neighbors saw me and they told everybody <sighs> on my mm. dad's side, it became real negative because, you know, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. And, and and they started telling other people that, oh, you know, we saw Cindy kissing a girl at the bus stop. And so I also have experienced the negative part of it. Um, but at the end, the fact that my mom had my back that's what mattered to me yeah so I got I, I do acknowledge that my mother has been super supportive but yes I've also have received that homophobia within my dad's side of the family unfortunately well it's a form of otherness yeah right and how is that otherness because I mean you're like thrice othered in <laughs> in the hardcore, thrice othered. thrice othered in the hardcore community because that is a very white male space. Can I just interrupt and say thrice othered is such a, we can tell you went to a white girl school event. Thrice <laughs> uses that. I mean, I love it, but English major. English major. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very male dominated, white male-dominated too, but I mostly experience this as male-dominated, not so much as like white male, because here in Los Angeles, it is, the punk scene is predominantly brown and Latino. Really? And I always thought of punk as such a white thing. You know, it is outside of LA, it is, oh, but in LA, here. it's very Latino. Wow. A bunch of bands singing in Spanish, a lot of uh, events tailored just for people of color. So it's a big scene happening that's very oriented in people of color, for sure. So, but I have experienced that, you know, patriarchy and elitism of being the male rock star, punk star, you know, and I witnessing that from the sidelines, it's, it's, it makes, it fuels me to keep doing what I'm doing, even though they never hook me up with shows, even though they, they don't, you know, book me. And then even better, I'm like... I could do this myself. I don't need them. Yes. I could do this myself. Yes. Most of us, I think, well, 
You go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go, Glenn Coco. Coco. <laughs> Look at us. We watch Mean Girls way too much. <laughs> On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Guess what? It's a Wednesday. I'm, I'm wearing w- pink. It's pinkish. It's blush. It's, it's light. It's light pink. We live in that. <laughs> Let's get back to what you just said about... Uh, Making it happen on your own when somebody else isn't creating space for you to be able to do that. I think of every business that I've had, every opportunity that I've had. This podcast. This podcast. Brown Girls Rising. We were tired of not hearing stories about women that look like us. Everyday women that are inspiring their local communities, their larger communities that are brown, self-identified as brown girls. And then on top of it, too, I'm tired of hearing people say, well, they're not out there. That talent is just not out there. I'm like, they're out there. You're not paying attention and you're not looking. So, like, how can we expand our network, too? Because we're here. um, We do Worthy Women, our monthly event series. And through that, we have expanded our network of women and specifically women of color so greatly. And, I mean, this is another way to do that. It absolutely is. And, you know, similar to you, we just said, you know what? Nobody else is going to bring this to the table. We're just going to go out and do it. And there we are. And guess what? We're finding tons of people that are there. And I think that's uniquely something that women do, right? When you show up unapologetically and self-rooted and like, no, I care about this cause. I care about what I'm doing. This is a direct reflection of me. I am worthy of this. It creates positive results for you. Mm. Girl. Yes. (laughs) Yes, girl. And you're doing that for other people as a producer, yeah, uh, one of these, uh, the most recent release that came out actually this week, they decided to, the band decided to release it because they have some upcoming shows. Uh, this band called La Sangrona y El Cabron. Oh my gosh, La Sangrona. I yeah. love that. And they've been together for 10 years and wow. I've played shows with them in the past. And I one time uh, talked to them at a show and I said, hey, why don't you guys have any, you know, tapes or CDs? And then they're like, well, we've never gone around to it. And I was like, hey, uh, if you're available, I have a little studio set up in my in my rehearsal space. It's, you know, totally DIY, um, but we can make it happen if you want to. And so we got together and we made a full-length album, uh, nine songs in total. I ended up tracking, mixing, and mastering it. And it's something that I'm very proud of because I did the work of probably like five people. That's crazy. And, you know, just to help them as mujeres, as, you know, people also having music with a good cause, with a with a good message and a women empowerment message. I was just real happy to be able to help them get their music out there. And how has it been for you in, I guess that's music tech, right? Yes. How has that been for you? I've also very male-dominated and very, very hard to get into. <laughs> you know, I when I decided to go back to school, I now that I think about it, I think it was a little silly of me to follow my art as a career because it has not really been profitable <laughs> to pay the bills anyways. It's been profitable to me personally, but not, you know, to make a living. And when I was there in school, it it was only me and three other women in a cohort of 40 men. Wow. So it was right off the bat, I knew I got myself into a male-dominated field. And... Uh, it was hard, and it, but it made me connect with those women even more 
like I have to talk to them. I have to be their friend. I I want to hang out with them and hear their story. And uh, after we graduated, uh, we all kept in touch. We all talked about our struggles of finding a job. And even then, I did several internships that were very sad. I didn't get anything out of it. All I got was, oh, clean this. Oh, go buy me a subway. You know. Uh, Clearly, we're doing internships <laughs> the wrong way, Yvette, because nobody ever gets me subway. <laughs> no. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> and all I wanted was to be behind a mixer, you know? And yeah. it that's what fueled me to be like, you know, I, 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 I'm over time working for free for men who don't appreciate me or think I'm capable of doing this because it's complex technology and it just inspired me to create my record label and do it for myself and work for myself because they didn't even give me a letter recommendation when I asked for it after months of free labor. So it really was a a rude awakening to see that people will just take advantage of young people's dreams and it kind of made me bitter. But like they say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's absolutely true. And that's really unfortunate. I think, I mean, we obviously don't run our internship program that way. Um, (laughs) That's going to (laughs) change. We're kidding. We're kidding. It's not really going to work that way. Um, But I think for us as, as, as women, as a founder, when I look at the environment that we create, I want to see people rise. I want people to have opportunities. Now I'm going to sound like my mother. I want you to have opportunities that I didn't have, right? What does my mom say, Mika? I didn't come to this country for you not to do the things that I wanted for you. And I feel like um, as we shape our next generation, we, it, we have a moral responsibility to be the examples that we didn't always have to break those molds. And I mean, I would consider you a leader in your industry. How many other female hardcore drummers do you know that are also Latina and producing their own music? None. That's a very narrow niche, right? You you. are checking off every box of like, oh, I didn't know all these things could even go together. That's like the definition of intersectionality. Yes. (laughs) Hashtag blushing. (laughs) Hashtag... We love you. Intersectional Cindy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my point to this is as you lead, how has how has this changed your style of leadership as you evolve? Because you're growing a platform as a DJ. You're uh, you're a feminist through your music. And what an incredible way to reach people through such a universal language through your music, right? What do they say? The only things that are universal that can be understood all around the world, music. Art and math. They're the same in every country. You don't need to speak the language to look at art and get some type of gist from it. Music, even if it's uh, spoken in a different language, you can still relate to the beat, to the vibe, to the energy. And math is the same everywhere. Numbers are numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my leadership style has evolved uh, in being ready to pass the torch on. Uh, A lot of people tell me, why don't you teach drums? And I've never felt like a teacher before. I think it takes a certain kind of person to teach. But now I feel it's evolved because I think I'm ready now to be like, okay, I'm, I'll give you tips on drumming. I'll, let's get a workshop together. I could tell you how to record a demo. Like I'm finally getting, I'm finally feeling more comfortable to 
pass on the knowledge, which in the past I haven't been comfortable because either I'm insecure, either I feel I don't know how to uh, communicate the the information correctly. But that's how I see myself evolving because I'm like, whoa, I actually am ready to start passing that torch now to the younger generation. Yeah, because to lead is to teach. Like you're imparting your knowledge to the younger generation. I feel like that's what we have to do with each other and with like that's what I feel like I'm doing with Kendra our community manager I'm like I have learned all these things and now you will learn them too and then we can all do it together and it'll be great and that's what Audrey has done with me and it's like that chain of empowerment and like watching us thrive like I wasn't ready to do a podcast I wasn't ready to do events but like here I am and I'm doing it Poor Yvette. I'm always just throwing her into things like, she throws, what? She We're throws me in the new. deep end and then she's like, swim. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt when I went to Dub Lab because I thought they were going to be like, oh, yeah, come in. Check us out. Check out the studio. And then when they emailed me like, oh, come to a DJ set. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and Dub Lab is no joke. Dub Lab is our oldest public radio in LA, are they like the first public radio online? I think. Yeah, even? that's what Ale was um, telling me. And they do, I mean, their DJs come out and do sets for like the Ace Hotel, the Standard, like everything. Anything that you automatically associate music, culture, and trendy together as one thing is the Dub Lab. And they're a nonprofit, right? And they're a small, uh, relatively for the volume of what they do, are a small outfit of people doing great work in the community and empowering people through their platform. So I think that's such a natural fit. And I'm so excited they threw you into the deep end a little bit because obviously, look how we connected. Look at the result of that. I mean, so many opportunities come to you from just being thrown out there. And I feel like, in I'm not going to lie, I kind of was hesitant, like, oh, what did I get myself into, you know? But then... If you're not ask, if you're not saying that to yourself, that means you're not pushing yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And coming in here today, I was like, you know, this is so cool. How can I say no to this opportunity to put my story out there, to let other people know, hey, you know, you want to make your own records? Do it. Kill Rockstars did it. Yeah, they probably had more money because they probably came from more privileged families, but you could still do it low income too. Oh, my favorite line, do what you can with what you have where you're at. I am like the master queen of like, okay, well, I'm just going to figure it out and I'm going to piece it together. I think a lot of people get stuck on this idea that it has to look perfect. And if it doesn't look perfect, then I can't put it out there. The reality is, is everybody else is thinking the same thing too. Your job is just to get there first. It doesn't have to be perfect. Put it out there and you can always refine because the minute you have something that you can show for it, Somebody else will say, oh, I might be able to have something I can contribute. Or, oh, I see what you're going after. You have something tangible. I'm more scared of people who are always talking about doing things and don't have anything to show for it. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's really, I remember Audrey was like, you need to read Big Magic. Ooh, Elizabeth she, Gilbert. Yes, Elizabeth Gilbert. And I start, and I'm like not a self-help person. I'm not I'm like, a self-help she's a self-help person. She's always, get, I get it like second party self-help when I impose it on her yes no but it's helpful (laughs) in its way and so like I was like oh fine I'll read it and then I remember the main thing that stuck with me from that was like it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be out there like it doesn't have to be perfect as long as you're creating like who are you to deprive the world of something that you created simply because you don't think it's good enough or it's perfect nothing is perfect put it out there and somebody will resonate with that like yes 
Absolutely. There's and, an audience for everything. Yeah. And that was something that really stuck with me. And moving forward with my art and the things that I do, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. I just have to put it out there. And we've seen such a response from Yvette's art. For those of you listening, uh, actually for everyone listening, because you can't see us, uh, <laughs> all of the artwork on Brand Girls Rising well, Instagram, well, most of it, most of the illustrations are actually Yvette originals. That's something that we do as a company practice. We don't work on Wednesdays. Wednesdays are our personal day. And for Yvette, those are her artwork days. And one, it's seen at least for me, like I see a huge difference in the work that she produces. It's so much more insightful because her creativity is so expanded, but our audience resonates with it so much. And all of them, I didn't know you were an artist. This is amazing. Where can I get it? There is always somebody for you, but you have to put yourself out there for that to be discovered. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes, you know, you're thinking of the caption you're going to put in your Instagram picture and oh my god yeah she thinks of her instagram picture captions <laughs> like i don't even know how far ahead she plans them but she's like instagram caption and then she tells me she's like what do you think about this i'm like i don't know audrey <laughs> i don't know They're always you know why because i love hip-hop and i like yeah. 90s hip-hop and so when i like a situation arises and she remembers a song lyric that relates and then she's like, puts it in there, zero context. And sometimes people are like, what? <laughs> I was dating a guy for a while who obviously does not listen to hip hop and he would Google all of my lyrics and then call me or my Instagram caption and uh -huh. call me and be like, what does this mean? I don't understand. This, this song is about like having sex or something else. He's mm -hmm. like, why would you put that in an Instagram caption? I'm like, why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake, bro? You know I love to go there. Everyone in the studio There she goes again. I love that line. And that's not even 90s hip hop. That's just Drake. And I love him. Yeah. What are some of your like female hardcore influences? Because I went through a hardcore phase. I am not even nice. going to lie about it. Nice. And I was like super into like Chodos and like scary kids scaring kids and like Circa Survive, but like I can't think of a single girl hardcore band. Okay, I see what you mean by hardcore, that style of hardcore. When I say hardcore, I guess I, I mean like uh, more towards the lines of punk rock because, mm. you know, you have so many different subgenres yeah. of punk. Like you have, the, you know, the classic kind, which is a little bit more like dance and poppy. And then you have like that angry punk where it's like super fast and people are mosh pitting. So when I say hardcore, I... I I'm referring more to like punk rock. Even like punk rock though. The only thing I can think of. Sex I don't even, Pistols. Okay. I only know who that is because my sister has a shirt that says Sex Pistols. But I don't <laughs> actually know. This is where even though Yvette and I are the same age. I'm like the old lady between us and she's the young one. Um, Paramore. Does that count? No. no, it doesn't count. <laughs> but the cool thing about today's scene. Corn. You know corn? <laughs> corn. Corn Remember rocks? Corn? I remember Lip that in biscuit? junior high. <laughs> biscuit. No. Where? I don't know where she was living. Long Beach. <laughs> I don't even know. I have no idea. Give me another one. Um, what was what was in the same thread as uh, corn? Limp Biscuit. Oh, um, well, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Or like yes. System of a Down. System yes. of a Down. <laughs> yes. 
Power Man Five Thousand. <laughs> no, Rob Zombie. Yeah, Rob Zombie. See, I was on the. I was on the. They had a girl bass player. Oh yeah, Rob that's Zombie. Right. And, and you know who else did Smashing Pumpkins? Oh yes, yes, Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins. A hole is a hole considered. Yeah. They were grungy, yeah. but I I actually do like hole a lot. I love hole. Yeah, they were very. I, Why do I know hole? Um, that's Courtney Love. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> Big lips. Yes. yes. My, I named my cat Courtney Love. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh my gosh, you I'm not even going to talk about the fact that you have a cat. She, I have three. I'm She's allergic. adorable. <laughs> so uh, there is one hardcore punk rock drummer that I'm a total fangirl over. And they're from, I believe, the San Gabriel Valley area, hey. if I'm not mistaken. But she used to, she used to drum for this band called Sin Remedio, which is awesome because they fuse like punk with like a Spanish music or like a ranchero type of feel. Really cool Ooh. mix. But they're not together anymore. But she has a new band called Palabras. And uh, I'm such a fan of hers. And they're contemporary. They're happening now. And they're actually going to come out in the next compilation I'm producing, which should be out next month, uh, Tamboreras Volume 2. Cool. Which is a compilation of women drummers, uh, whether it's rock or punk or um, metal. And so she's on there, but there's they're, they're out there. We're out there. Uh, it's very obscure. It's small. But there is a lot of women musicians out there making music that's aggressive. I love that. And I think, you know, I can't wait until we start talking about this and we're saying and we stop using the word obscure, that it's not that we don't have to sit here and struggle to think of women that fit these categories. And I think a lot of it goes back to what you said, Yvette. It's a matter of showing up, creating the space for it, for other people to know about it versus being like, it shouldn't have to be underground. It should just be an accepted thing. Yeah. And so I have to ask you, resisting with music. Tell us more about this because I look at you and I think I hear resisting with music and I'm like, oh, that is totally the essence of you. Yeah. So resisting, resisting from music is my record label, which I founded because I love to engineer and be around technology, music technology. And so I wanted to not only produce my own music, but others music. And I wanted to do it myself. And that's where it came from. I chose Resisting with Music because I feel that through my media, I'm resisting the status quo. Mm. And I am representing for the small percentage of people in the recording, for women in the recording arts industry. So that's why I chose Resisting With Music as my record label name. And I'm very excited to share the upcoming releases. Um, and I'm going to just hopefully, you know, keep doing what I'm doing regardless of my low funds, uh, maybe get t tapes donated. A friend actually just donated some tapes to me. And it's just something where I feel like I really do put my soul in this work. You know, one of the best things somebody said to me, um, I was chatting with a friend uh, about some recent frustrations that I have. And I said, uh, related to a project, I said, man, I feel like I'm just not getting what I need. And she goes, okay, you're not framing it properly. What you need to ask yourself is what is the question that I need to ask and who do I need to ask it to to get what I want? So if you need tapes, who do you... Right. And that's it. Will you give me tapes? 
Who is the person that you need to ask? Put together a list of people, go out and get them. And it becomes a numbers game, right? We do this in everything Mm -hmm. that we do. We identify what it is we need. Who are the people that have this that we can create a partnership with, a sponsorship? Uh, We can pitch as a project, a collaboration, and we just go out and get it. And eventually, if you hit enough people, somebody's going to say yes to you. And you'd be surprised. You know, oftentimes it's not always the – well, it's not always the first yes, but usually it's in within the first three to five. Yeah. Most people are down to say yes, and it's sooner than you think. And why? Because, again, like you said earlier – Sometimes people are scared and they don't want to put themselves out there. They're scared of the no. I will. I am so comfortable being uncomfortable. I live in uncomfortable. This is why I'm she prematurely really gray. I'm literally <laughs> prematurely gray for this reason. That's great advice. Thank you. I think that's awesome. And it's something I'm definitely going to take with me after today. Oh, man, you're doing it. And you're doing it for <laughs> other people. And I think what happens is as women, as women of color, women that have experienced social inequality or injustice, I think we all hear this from each other and we go, how can I help raise my fellow woman, right? Not raise my fellow man. Well, yes, man in general, like as a population of people. But how can we go about helping to elevate other people, especially when we're identifying struggles? And oftentimes it's just putting it out there. Uh, Even us with our new health insurance, I put it out on Facebook and I said, uh, you guys were so great when we needed liability insurance. I asked you for referrals. I got great referrals. Knocked it out in a day. Health insurance, I put it out there on Facebook. I said, all right, trusted friends and Facebook acquaintances that I don't really know that well. I'm looking for a new health insurance broker. Who do you have that can assist us? We're a small business. We may not qualify for small group. We may not have enough employees to meet that uh, 10-person minimum. But who do you know who works with individuals, freelancers, small group, and is willing to talk to us about our insurance needs? I kid you not. People send me so many referrals and people that I would have never guessed had these contacts. Like, oh, my cousin does this. Oh, I know somebody who did that. Oh, at my last job, we used this person. And every single person that I talked to bent over backwards to try and help us. And we knocked it out in two days. Yeah. Two days. Now we have insurance. Now we have insurance. Hey. Go us, right? (laughs) Oh, what's up? (laughs) Yes. And that's what I mean. Like, sometimes it's just a matter of putting it out there. But again, you have to be specific, right? Like you just said, you're like, I need tapes. Okay, put it out there. You need tapes. And you had somebody who came through with you. Same thing for us. And my friend really hit the nail on the head when she gave me that advice. She's like, you need to be specific. What is it that you want? And who do you need to ask to get it? Because it's not just about saying, I need this. It's about identifying who is the person who can actually give it to you. And what do you want? Sometimes Mm. it's really like we thought about it. She said that to me yesterday and I was like, oh, and I was like, well, obviously tons and tons of money. But money is not all the things that we need. Money's not all the things that we need. What else do we need? And I was like, I had to think about it. And we're still like thinking about it and kind of marinating in that so that we can start a new hit list and start going after these people. Because sometimes we don't actually need money to get stuff. Sometimes we need in-kind trades or services or goods where people are like, well, I can't give you money, but I could give you stuff. I could give you access. I could give you space. I could give you uh, an introduction. Sometimes it's an introduction. That is some key advice, family. I like to tell people you should always try to get two things from people when you're talking to them. Either their money or their contacts, <laughs> right? Go into it. Go into the ask. Yeah, go into the ask knowing I'm either trying to sell you something or partner with you or, you know, have some type of goal of 
This is what I'm trying to achieve with you. And if I can't get this, who do you know that can help me get this? And sometimes, sometimes it's obnoxious to ask. Sometimes you have to just put yourself out there, but you never know who's going to say yes or who's actually going to have that connection. In fact, I think of every single thing that we have today for Brown Girls Rising, for Worthy Women, every single thing that we have is because I asked somebody, do you know somebody who... Could you make an introduction to somebody who could do this? Or I'm doing this. Do you know somebody who's also trying to do the same thing and would like to be in alignment with our mission? These are the ways that we can be supported. And final thought, when somebody says, uh, how can I help you? What are you looking for? Have at least three specific things that you can tell somebody. The worst thing you can say is, oh, I don't know. I'm just looking for somebody, anybody. If you're looking for anybody, you're looking for nobody. Be specific. Mm. Drop the mic. (laughs) We can't do that. These don't drop it because it's expensive, but and it's mounted. Yeah, (laughs) these are expensive mics. (laughs) Thank you, Maker City LA. Yeah, we We appreciate you. (laughs) We like it. We love it. But okay, I got off on a major tangent. Um, I started talking about this because I was talking about social inequalities and how we can help each other. Uh, Cindy, Cindy. Uh, when did you first become aware of social inequalities for people of color, for immigrants, for queer Latinas? Like what were things that really impacted your early awareness where you're like, oh. And how are you addressing those with your music? That's Those are great questions. I can take it back all the way to elementary. I used to be one of those students that would get bussed out from the inner city to valley schools. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, you know, the social inequalities in first grade and second grade. Once in third grade, you start talking about your homes, what your parents do. And your friends come over and they want to do sleepovers. Well, they couldn't even come over because I was an hour and a half away from the actual school. So I realized when all my friends' parents were like nurses and, you know, had good jobs, like I guess jobs that weren't service jobs and then they would ask well what does your mom do and then for me to finally realize oh my mom cleans you know my mom's a janitor and that's when I started realizing like okay it's not the same I didn't know that I could have my own room I didn't know that people had a big house while I lived in a single home you know so that's I, I learned it early on And I feel like that caused me to rebel a lot. And, you know, I didn't want to listen and stuff like that because I started getting angry, I feel, of, well, why can't I have this? Why don't we have a car? Why do I have to be on the bus all the time? Why can't I get those shoes, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that's when I started noticing that inequality. You know what? Uh, Side note from that, I don't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone completely car-free oh. uh, two-plus years. Oh. I'm metro advocate. I enjoy it. And when I got rid of my BMW, my mom said, Mija, we came to this country for you to have things and labels, and you just got rid of your BMW. She goes, do you know what it was like for us when we used to have to take the bus everywhere and pinched and saved for that Pinto? Let me yeah. tell you, those were big deals for us. And um, Joan Sebastian has a song um, afortunado. If you guys, if you guys know it, it's a banda song, and one of his lines is "Cuando yo no tenía carro, me soñaba en la autopista," and I always think of that line when my mom told me that. And even now, she's like, 
you mean you enjoy ta- who enjoys taking the bus? I'm like, mom, I meet so many people. And she's like, that's your white side. <laughs> For sure, that's your white side. I always say that. Um, when did I used to? Oh, I used to always tell people like white people ride their bikes for recreation and because they choose to. Yep. And then when you see, you know, a Latino or like a brother on a bike, it's, it's because they're trying to go to work. They're trying true. to go somewhere. It's not a luxury for us. And when it kind of becomes a luxury, it kind of becomes a point of shame. It does. <laughs> it does. People, um, and even now, like we live in a car centric place in LA, right? Yeah. And people are like, what do you mean you don't drive anymore? I know it blows people's minds that we both metro. Yeah, we metro all the time. I I love the metro. Grew up. I just I explored Los Angeles as a teen by myself on the bus in metro everywhere because I you know I wanted I was a little rockera. I wanted to be you know in the streets. I wanted to go to the show, and so I explored everywhere on the bus, and I did like it. But once I turned eighteen, I was like, okay, it's time. I'm I can have my own car now never had a car growing up my mom never drove me anywhere it's time for me to get some wheels but I definitely felt that inequality growing up not having access to a car yeah and I grew up in in the 909 where the public transit is trife and well because it's not walkable nothing is walkable so it It doesn't yeah it's terrible and so like I remember when I started taking the bus places and I would tell people from home, they would be like, ew, why would you do that? Like, yeah, it's very classist, like public transportation, at least in California, has like a really negative like connotation like, oh, you must be you must be one of those poor people. Oh, yeah, it really does. And you're right. So it comes down to recognizing when you don't have things that other people do around you. It does make you feel very aware and it can also be very shaming. Right. Yeah. And I think for a lot of immigrant families or even my own experience where like I'm a first generation child, like I very distinctly remember my mom once telling me like, Mika, we came to this country for you to have things. And you're getting rid of these things that we worked very hard for you to have. I don't understand. Yeah. Right? Like things like the luxury car was a big deal. The fancy handbags were a big deal. They're Mm. the status symbol. I used to joke like 2004 was the year where every Mexican friend I had had highlights and a coach bag. Right. With the big C's. Oh, girl. I had the Tommy Hilfiger overalls. Right? The marca. You wanted the marca so other people could see it because it's a status symbol of we've made it, we have these things. And I think oftentimes ends up uh, overcompensating, which also lends to things like a lack of financial literacy, right? This sense of I need to prove myself in this way so other people can see it versus focusing on things that are how can we better our own experience so that we don't become statistics of most likely to lose our homes in an economic crisis because we, you know, were given bad home loans. Yeah. Right? My cousin had, he had a BMW. No, he had a Mercedes and his girlfriend had a Mercedes and they couldn't even pay rent. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, why do you have a Mercedes? Build your foundations. It's about building your foundations. So, Cindy, you have built um, an incredible, incredible uh, resiliency in both your music and your community, your leadership styles. What have been some of your foundational feminist icons that have helped shape this for you? That's a great question. There's a lot of women who have inspired me and 
helped me be who I am today. One of them, obviously, my mom, who has supported me unconditionally, even as a queer woman. Uh, my tias, like, how do they support everybody and their mama in Guatemala making the money that they make, which is, you know, not that much. Only they know, you know. So they're my number one is definitely my mom and my tias all the way, taking care of theirs, taking care of us and their entire families. Um, some other people who have inspired me, uh, not that I condone violence, but uh, people who stand up for um, women who get killed. I don't know if you've ever heard of Diana the Huntress, but she actually did some acts of violence on some bus drivers in Juarez, all the femicide that goes on there. Women who really take direct action to the injustices that we as women face really have inspired me. Also, the animal kingdom, uh, <laughs> lions are lionesses. They're matriarchal society, you know, uh, People like Terry Winston, she she founded a women's audio mission in San Francisco who are helping educate women and girls in music technology and audio engineering. Uh, other people like Comandante Ramona, Rigoberta Menchu. There's so many. Yeah. There's I so many. Rigoberta Menchu. Yeah, really? Yeah, she did a book signing with Victor Villaseñor. When I was a little girl, my mom took me to meet her because uh, my mom needed to get her books. I, I guess my mother was a feminist. She is. Dude. She is a feminist now that I think about cool. it. She's um, like, Rigoberta Menchu, you have to meet her. You must meet her. I was like 12. Um, <laughs> my so mom cool. still has this picture. That was the time when the fur ja- when it was like fake leather, but the fur jackets from what was the place in the mall? Wilson's Leather. Mm. You don't remember that? No. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Just me. Uh, but I, I do remember that. And I remember... Um, I remember being struck by my mom telling me how important of a figure she was and she could not press that into me enough. And we got there and I was like, this woman is tiny and I'm a very short person. And my mom was like, see, mija, see, little people too. That's you. (laughs) (laughs) Grow into it. Little but strong. My tia Julia, actually, um, who's very tall, nicest compliment she's ever given me. She said, oh, mija, strength is not measured by... in inches, it's measured in the distance between your head and heaven. And since yours has extra distance, that's where you get it from. Oh, <laughs> I know. Really sweet. If you knew my tia Julia, you'd be very surprised that that came out of her mouth. Oh, that was probably like the only nice thing she's ever said to you. No, she said very nice things. But usually it comes with a little like one-two Dang. punch. Like, yeah. like, oh, mija, you're fat, but eat. <laughs> we look, I remember my, my grandma one time was like, oh, Yvette, you're so chubby. But you're pretty. You're and, very pretty. And you're smart. And you're smart. It's okay. Y no tienes wrinkles porque la carita está bien Yeah. That's my favorite. Like, she was like, don't worry. You'll find love. I was like, what? <laughs> Why? Why? Why this? Why can't you just tell me that you love me? Okay. One last question before we go. Okay. So what does resistance music look like for you in the time of Trump? How are you guys rising to the occasion and addressing the things that are happening? Female fronted for sure, because I know his view on women, even though he says he respects women, not true. So I see it as female fronted. I see more women musicians, also uh, women producers. So back scene, back uh, behind the scenes, fronted and also creating the music. So I see 
a bunch of women. And I also see revolutionary lyrics. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely happening. Like it's it's fueled so many people that I that I know that I'm creating music with. We all talk about it. Uh, it is aggressive. It is political. It's not nice. Uh, it's raw and it's real. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes we need something like that to to make us do something because we get so comfortable sometimes not doing things that sometimes we need to hit rock bottom to to change to oh, build a new foundation. So true. We said this on another episode. You know, if if anything out of our current climate, um, the only positive, at least that I can see, two positives. One, it's forcing people to take action and recognize that things that we thought were comfortable maybe aren't so comfortable. And two, this new generation of leaders that's emerging, people that are taking strong action who would have never been felt compelled to otherwise. It is one of the most beautiful things to see that from people that I would have previously considered to be very passive. And I really love and appreciate seeing more women kind of embrace the idea of feminism as, you know, whereas before they were like, uh, that's not really for me because you have all those rights already for the most part. And um, seeing them kind of understand how things are being challenged and how rights are being taken away and standing up and really claiming that space for themselves. Also, seeing Audrey come into her feminism. Because when we first met, she was like, I don't know if I really, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm just a bad feminist. And I was like, girl, no, you're not. You are not. (laughs) This is very true. It absolutely has. And now she's like, I'm a feminist. And I'm like, you go, girl. You go, Glenn Coco. That's me. (laughs) Uh, But it's true. Even with Brown Girls Rising, I think prior to the election with Worthy Women, we always strive to be a little bit more palatable to general audiences. We didn't really hyper focus on, we had a very large women of color audience naturally because of the extensions of who Yvette and I are. In fact, 70 plus percent of our audience identifies women of color, specifically African-American and Latinas. Um... But we were always much more general in our topics. And when the election happened, you know, we we use the term brown girls rising as something that people either have a lot of pride or shame about. It's not that we had shame about it before, but let me tell you, that pride came out real strong after to be like, no, we are the daughters of immigrants. We are brown girls. We're brown. Don't let my white girl name fool you. We are brown and we are rising and we are strong. And we're here to share those stories for our audience. Uh, And my biggest thing was too. Don't fool yourself for one second and think that he's not talking about you. Because I yeah. feel like that's a lot of the, the you know, peripheral conversations that I'm hearing amongst people who are like, eh, whatever, like, get over it. We have to just deal with this now. And it's like, no, like, he's talking about you. If you're brown, if you're of Latino descent, if you're an immigrant of immigrant descent, if you're black, if you're anything other than what he deems to be you know, respectable and good in the United States, he's talking about you. And it's your duty to take action. It absolutely is. So, Cindy, where can people take action with you through your music? Where can people find you? You can find me at your local drum circle, Lamarck Park, Venice Beach, or you could also catch me at shows, uh, social media, Instagram, frequencies underscore of underscore sin c-i-n um facebook cindy c-i-n space d-e-e or soundcloud which is 
what I want to, you know, I want people to check out uh, soundcloud.com slash C-I-N underscore D-E-E where it has songs that I produce, mixed, or uh, compiled together. Cindy. Cindy. Cindy, it has been such a pleasure having you. Uh, you can find me at Audrey Bellis. You can find me at Yvette Dorama. That's the French Yvette and D-O-R-A-M-A. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Español and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time. 